Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, a teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Hi, Suzanne. Hi. <laughs> we might, you guys, Suzanne and I might have just beat the record for the longest pre-recording. That's <laughs> okay. Hey, moms. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So I'm super excited to introduce you, Suzanne, to my audience and to start talking about your book, Raising Owen, and to talk about your journey in this wild and crazy life of raising a child with a disability, in your case, Down syndrome. So why don't you start off by introducing yourself and tell us about the work that you do. Okay. So hi, thanks for having me on here, Ashley. Uh, my name is Suzanne Lazat, and I my memoir just came out in October called Raising Owen, An Extraordinary Memoir on Motherhood. And I say that the subtitle was really important to me because our kids with Down syndrome are really extra. They have an extra chromosome, but they're really pretty ordinary <laughs> at the end of the day, just like any other kid. And they're extraordinary. So uh, I wrote my book. I started it in 2019, and it took me three years. I have been a journalist for most of my career. I worked in PR and marketing. And I always thought I was going to write a book. And when I was in college, I'm like, I'm going to write a book by the time I'm 30. And then it was 40. And I think I said to someone the other day, you know, when God whispers, you don't listen, then he yells. And I think he literally placed stone in my life so that I would write my book. Oh, I love it. I love it. Had you thought about other books to write? I have now. And I've dabbled in short stories. I do a lot of short stories. I think... For a long time, and I started to submit some my an essay from my memoir. I sent to Writer's Digest, and I had an honorable mention out of three thousand essays. So that was to me that was telling me I was on the right with my writing. So it's a little bit harder to write for me to write short stories and to write fiction because I feel like that's more personal. So yeah. journalism became sort of my default because. It's much more objective and I'm really good with interviewing people and kind of, I feel like building a journalistic story is like putting a puzzle together. You sort of put all the pieces. So it's kind of kept me writing all these years. And it's just, I think the, the biggest obstacle for me right now is finding the time to sit down and be creative and write. Yeah. Yeah. And for sure, that's my obstacle with a lot of the work I do. Because you've got to get in the right headspace, but that's hard to do when the noodles are about to boil or <laughs> the kids are going to be home in 94 minutes or whatever. So, yeah. I are you hearing, mom, did you do my laundry? Did you put my jersey in? <laughs> or in, in the case that just 90 minutes ago, mom, did you go to the pharmacy? Right. <laughs> it's been three the days. The beautiful thing about the stage and the timing of my book is I started working on it when I had the foresight, I guess, to start a journal when I was five weeks pregnant. 
I had no idea that my son would have Down syndrome. In fact, we didn't know until he was seven days old. Wow. And nobody caught it. Nobody, there was no signs. Nobody said, we think he The only reason we knew is because my husband, he was in the NICU because he had merconium. He was a emergency C-section. And my husband's aunt worked at the hospital. And so the head of the NICU said, well, I'm going to make sure that we do all the testing so that he doesn't leave and we miss something. And the only test we were waiting for was the down test for Down syndrome. Wow. And I really was like, oh, no, you must have the wrong family. And I'm looking around the NICU like, that's not us. <laughs> and it, so so it was, you know, my book is pretty raw at some point. I, I'm really honest about my thoughts and about how I cried the first year I went into therapy. But, you know, I, I feel like I feel like any parent, when you have a diagnosis, you have your lows that you have to you have to grieve and you have to move through that. But I feel like there's so much magic in, first of all, raising any child, but raising a child with a disability. Like we get to experience those like moments. And I, you know, I always used to say when I would meet a parent, a new parent, a new mom, I would say it's the coolest club you never wanted to join. <laughs> and they would it's be so like, true. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really one thing that I like is I my, my favorite thing ever is the sibling bond. I I will die on that hill. I just love. I always say brothers are my favorite. But the thing that I love personally is I love seeing life broken down so simply. I just love that. Like sometimes you have to like unravel something to get to the most simple version of it to be like, all right, Jack, let me just tell you how it is. Or let me just show you how it is. Or this is why you're doing this. And it's like such a beautiful gift. I love humanity. I love Mm -hmm. sociology. I love the human. And to see humanity, um, to, to figure out this really, really complicated human that I love and that I created by getting down to like the most basic developmental concepts or behavioral concepts or just like how to wipe after you go potty. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful to me. And it really just kind of makes me so hyper aware of how complicated and beautiful and complex life is and how that impacts our relationships because I also like how humans connect. So yeah, I think I don't you on that. But don't you just love that? Like I have two other kids, so I have two typical kids, but I love how Owen is so Zen. I always say he's like, it's like God sent me a Buddha, right? He's um he lives in the middle and he's my teacher. There are times when I'm always like, come on, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go. And Owen Owen works on his own time. He uh. has his routine and it takes him longer, but he's it, 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 he lives in the moment. And I think yeah. that's what we all aspire to do. I mean, I'm always on webinars, like we live in the moment. How do you pay attention? How do you slow down? And he does that. He's like, I'm hungry. I'm tired. I want to watch TV. Like, it's all about now. Like, I always, what fascinated me about him and about kids with Down syndrome is that they don't look at the past and go, oh, I did that. That was so terrible. Like, I have a running routine thing in my mind saying, right. why did you do that? That was, you know. They don't think about it. The day is done. They move on to the next day. And they're not anxious about the future. When Owen was in high school, there were so many kids. You could see they were stressed out. They were anxious about exams and college and all this. And I was just living every day, just going about and once a day say, today is 
and stay ah, out. I love it. I love it. Yes. Or, yes. Jack is the opposite. I want to live. <laughs> my Jack is the opposite of that. And my, my best adult friend that has Down syndrome is also the opposite of that. But I know what you mean because I advocate on Capitol Hill with, well, pre-pandemic I did a couple of times a year. I would go on Capitol Hill to advocate for the rights of people with disabilities. And I would go often with this one friend who, you know, you have to take off your belt and take off your shoes and all that stuff. And he was like so patient with it. I'd be like all in a tizzy, like, does everything still look perfect? And, you know, these people have on their Brooks Brothers suits. And I'm like, and, you know, he would just like take off his belt and put it on the conveyor belt. And like the, 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 systems that he had in place worked for him he was not in a hurry and he was that kind of zen thing and there's a lot to learn from that i completely agree maybe it's my own like craziness i just can't co-regulate jack <laughs> well and not to say that owen doesn't have you know there's this misconception that they lo- they're loving all the time you oh, know yeah yes they are but you know he gets angry he gets angry by the siblings he gets angry when i tell him to go to bed he gets sad. You know, sometimes he'll go up to his room and he'll start crying. I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, Papa Bear, my dad, and it's just making me really sad. And he'll cry and then he'll be over it. And I, so they run the gamut of emotions. You know what I think it is about them? They feel it hard. They get through it and they're over it. Yeah. I think we, as a, like as a human, I'm reluctant to work through emotions. And I, and that's where I say it's, He's got that Zen way of living because whatever emotion is there, he acknowledges it, he processes it, he gets through. And again, that's, I wish I could live more like I I love the simplicity of it. Like, that's what my friend Chad, you know, he'll work through something. One time he was telling me the difference between reality and fantasy. And when he was pubescent, he um, worked with a therapist on like puberty related, um, you know, like girls that he liked and that kind of stuff. And So, and he was talking about fantasy in a non-sexual way in this conversation. Like he was talking about real and pretend, but he, for pretend, he called it fantasy. And he would say things like, you know, he always says, hypothetically, if Brandon wasn't your husband, and I'm like, yeah, we aren't going to, we aren't going to hypothesize about whether or not I was married because I am. And then he'll say, I know. I know that's not real. That is, and he says fantasy, but he means pretend, right? And and then that's like the end of the story for him. Whereas our busy brains would tend to perseverate on that or to wake us up at three o'clock in the morning and think, why did I say it that way? Or did that make the other person feel uncomfortable or whatever? Like for Chad, yep, you're right. Real and pretend, end of the story. And it's so, that is so beautiful. And I think we could learn so much from that. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about Owen? Give us kind of like the the high level update on Owen. Tell us what how old he is, what he's into, what he's doing now. So he is 20 years old. Uh, he's telling everyone when he turns 21, we're going to Vegas. That's his big thing. And he's, he's telling the whole world. I mean, we're going to have to rent out an entire hotel, I think. Is he getting married? Pardon? Is he getting married? No, he just wants to go to Vegas because he's turning 21 and that's what everyone does. So the reason that's, I guess, on his mind is because we, 
so we did the, he was my oldest and my first. So I really had no idea. I was, I was traveling this road as him being my only child in school. And I did what the district told me. Like they were like, oh, we have these segue classes. We have these special day classes. And even though I knew like it didn't really sit well with me because he had been in a preschool mix, which was 15 typical kids and five special needs kids. And it was chaotic and it was, but he was learning so much. So then we did it. I said, okay, we'll put him in the special day class. Well, kindergarten went by, first grade went by, second grade. He didn't learn to read. He learned to to roll on the floor. He was learning all these other behaviors. And it finally hit me that he was learning these behaviors because the makeup of his day for six hours was kids with behaviors and other needs. And the teachers thought he was really cute. So they weren't actually making him do anything. And I just was like, enough. We are going to push for inclusion. We never had to lawyer up. We just said, we're doing it. And we we moved to this neighborhood where we had an amazing elementary school. And we got him in that school. And the first, you know, couple months were a little wonky because he was still rolling around, singing at the top of his lungs. Like he didn't know how to behave because the kids he'd been with behaved differently. Yeah. So did something, His uh, the assistant principal said, I have this idea. Why don't we try something I read about called reverse inclusion? So he was in second, we, we held him back. So he repeated second grade at this elementary school, fully included with a teacher's aide. So not someone like right next to him, but somebody helping the classroom. Yeah. So we put him back in a kindergarten classroom and for two weeks. And all of a sudden he looked around and was like, oh yeah, this is like my sister's age. Like, this is what you do. Because I always felt like his mentality was was at the lower, you know, like right, lower right. Than well, he would he had siblings that age, and their friends right. would come over and play, and that kind of thing. So yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. So so that would put him back in his t- his regular class, and all of a sudden, his those behaviors disappeared because he's like, I get it. Like this yeah. is our yeah. yeah. And he made some of the like best friends that he still to this day he calls them. They go they're away at college. One's at Stanford. One's at you know, Chapman, he'll call them and he'll FaceTime them. And I can hear the delight in their voice. And they're like, Owen, and they'll be on the phone for like a half hour, an hour, just chatting with them. And so he has this group of typical kids that he's always sort of moved with. So we moved yeah. with them from elementary school to middle school and then to high school. He went to a different high school. But I, I do feel like it gave him that, that want or that when they started all going to college, he said, well, mom, I want to go to college. And I said, Okay, so you shall. <laughs> and then I realized, like, there's a website called thinkcollege.net. So there are programs for our kids. There's over 150 programs in the country, all different kinds of programs. But we started looking at it. And when we had moved to this area, I found one in Ventura County that does these neurodiverse classes at Ventura College. And it's the instructor's amazing. They drill everything down to his level. So he's now on the computer accessing canvas which my other kids are doing he's responding to other kids they have to do prompts and they have to respond to three other people like it's really slow going but he needs that he needs that like and he's getting the experience yeah yeah so he's so that's what he's doing now he's doing two days a week at Ventura college he goes to the post-secondary he swims for special olympics he's got over 45 medals from the past um from the past, he's been swimming since he was 10. He's done summer games three times. He's now working on doing the medley, which is really hard. Nice. But his is going to swim the medley next year. 
And, and it, what's the hardest for him? Is it fly or backstroke? Uh, you know, it's funny. He's he's really good at the butterfly. Yeah. But he never swam it. He made the varsity team his senior year of high school, the varsity swim team. And at the end of it, his coach was like, you're a butterflyer. And he's yeah. like, no, I'm going to swim this. <laughs> but he's it's, really good at it. That's so I think I might know why. Um, stereotypically, a lot of kids with Down syndrome have have a center of gravity that's like, like it must change is the only way that I can surmise it in my brain. Is he like, okay, you know how if you fall off of a flute in a lake, it's so hard to get back onto the flute? Uh-huh. Can he like just get right onto a flute like that? Like he's he can like creep into places and like he just, his body just fits places? You know, well, first of all, we don't live near a lake and there's only ocean, so there's no floats. But we do have a pool and like he's really strong. Upper body strength is really strong. So yeah. he can himself out of the pool really fast, which I can't do. Yeah, yeah. So... Butterfly is you undulate, but it's pretty flat. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people with Down syndrome are really good at butterfly. And I think it's the same thing. I think it's because, because they're it's so loose. loose. Yes. Yeah. Well, true. And then they have the hypermobility of their joints. And so they're right. really, like they're literally flying off of their bodies. But yeah, I think it's it does take upper body strength because they're both going at the same time. But... They they also swim it so flat most of the time. I love to watch people with Down syndrome swim swim all the strokes because I'm like, oh, the the ergonomics of that. I should have been an OT. I'm so right by it. So I have to tell you, it's funny, and I do write about it in my book. Is that like my son's superpower is he learns visually, but he learned yeah. to take it in visually. And one of the prime examples was when he was nine years old, and I was working full time, and it was. You know, it's the Olympics in London, right? So we TiVo'd, remember we TiVo'd shows and we TiVo'd yeah. the Olympics. And we'd be like, I, I was working. So I was like, sure, watch the Olympics. Thinking that's not a bad thing if I stick in front of the TV to watch the Olympics. Yeah. So started watching the Michael Phelps because we had TiVo'd Michael Phelps. And he started watching it in slow motion, fence forward, in slow motion back. And he was obsessed with it, like over and over and over again. Until I finally said, enough, like stop watching it. You're making me... It just was kind of making you feel like a bad parent at that point. Yeah. So engrossed in it. So a couple of weeks, like a week or so later, we were at our neighbor's pool and it was summer and my younger two kids were doing the doggy paddle and learning to swim. And I, and I looked at Owen and I go, oh, and you're nine years old. When are you going to learn to swim? And he said, I can swim like Michael Phelps. I said, fine, prove it. Just laughing. Yeah. He, and he had been able to hold his breath underwater for like a minute at a time. That's what he would sit on the edge and just hold his breath under, right? So he literally steps up, stands up. He goes underwater, wriggles his body, does the butterfly stroke, hits the wall and says, see, I can swim like Michael Phelps. I was floored. My neighbors are like, how long have you had him in swim lessons? I'm like, never. <laughs> so he literally visualized it in his mind and taught himself to swim and got in the pool and did it. So when Incredible. we had a Olsen, we're like, you're swimming for Special Olympics. We enrolled him in the Special Olympics. And the coach is like, oh, so how long has he been in swim lessons? He's really good at the backstroke. Well, let's. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. That is. Yeah, like, I really do. Like, there's a savant to our kids, I think. Yeah. You just have to find that piece, that nugget mm-hmm. that they really glom onto and they really want to do. And. This kid will get in a freezing cold pool. He will swim in our pool that's freezing cold just to be like, I got to swim. 
So it's really, to me, I think the biggest thing is that I feel like all our kids are super smart. They're yeah. just not smart the way society needs them to be smart. Yeah. That's a great way to say it. I, I couldn't agree with you anymore. And it's and it, it that's really cool. So the book takes us on your journey, though, right? So we go through it's a memoir from your perspective about your the lessons that you've learned and the experiences that you've had as you have raised Owen, who's now 20. Is he 20? Is that right? He's 20. He's 20. Yeah. So what I like to do for the the parents in particular, but also the educators that follow the podcast, is to give them some like things that that you have learned that maybe they can, you know, use in their daily lives. So can you talk to us about a lesson or experience or something that's in the book that you learned from that maybe other people um, need to open their eyes to? Absolutely. But first, I want to go back to the fact that it is a memoir and it is my journey, but it's also, it's not just, I've had parents read it who don't have a child with Down syndrome, but they're a parent. And they were like, literally, I couldn't put the book down. It was so good. And I got this, I, I took this out of it because it really is my growth as a parent because, you know, then I thought, well, I want more kids. And I was already 36. And so there was the whole, how do we do that? And it wasn't as it's easy as the first time. Like we got pregnant right away with Owen, which is why I always think it was meant to be. And, you know, so I feel like there's the idea that I've had a lot of parents say to me, like, weren't you nervous about having more kids? And with my third, I was 40 years old by the time I got pregnant with him. And I, I had a new doctor because I had new insurance. And I walked into his doctor's office and I said, look, I'm 12 re- weeks pregnant. I am your statistic. Already had the kid with Down syndrome. So you don't need to give me the whole like, this is what we need to do. I said, I don't want to do any testing. I just want to have a baby. And he said, I have a grandson with Williams syndrome. They are a blessing. They're a gift from God. He's like, let's have a baby. Uh, so I feel like this book, I have had so many friends that, and I've had friends that don't have kids that have sent me notes saying, your book is so beautifully written. And it, it makes me understand so much more about your life and the beautiful person that Owen is. So having said that. Yeah. You know what? Wait, but when you said that really quick, when we talked last week or whatever, there was something that I was like, I forget what I was going to say. And you just reminded me of it. So and maybe I told you this, I, but I think I forgot it. And then it was gone. When Kelly Hampton's book, Bloom, came out, I ordered 10 copies because then you've got to Zoom in with her. And so I had 10 friends read it, and then we had dinner, and then we got to Zoom with Kelly Hampton, which was like a dream come true for me. And when we did, my next-door neighbor, who's a really empathetic person, she couldn't stop crying because she said, I was concerned about Jack. Like, I thought so much about Jack, and I thought so much about like his development. And I was always asking you for updates on all the things. And she was like, but I never really stopped and thought, oh, Ashley must be having these like either really complex feelings or really simplistic feelings or really pervasive feelings. And, you know, kind of like the whole people, other people do not realize the complexity of the feelings that we're having. And then the feelings that other people are having that we're trying to control their impact on our families. And and the feelings like can literally overwhelm us. 
And you're right. We did talk about this because I told you one of my friends had reached out to me who doesn't have a child with a disability, but has kids. And she said, oh my goodness, the biggest thing you made open my eyes to is the next time I'm going to ask the mom how she's doing because we can't forget about the moms. Right. So that's my point. So I, so listeners, here's what I want for you to do. I want for you to go buy this book and gift it to people for, you know, their birthdays or whatever. So that, because, you know, I think Suzanne, and I don't know if you've gotten any like questions about why didn't you write about Owen? Why'd you write about yourself? Like, why do people want to hear about you? But what I'm saying is it's so good for people to know about caregivers and about caregiving and the complexity of it. And of course, our kids are part of that story too. It's not like we're egotists that are like, well, let's end up It is a very important part to the entire process of helping to develop a person with a developmental disability. So I say thank you to you, but I also say to the audience, share this with people that are not parenting kids with disabilities. Okay, I'm back to the original thing. Well, and one of my um, beta readers is was my son's fifth grade teacher who was also in the book, but she said every educator should read this book. Like, it's just... You know, it's it, we. I stumbled. There was things I didn't know how to do, but there was always the learning, the learning curve. Yeah. But one thing I do often is, I really hope that parents should get out of one of. I mean, this is a like a lesson for like new parents who have a new baby with Down syndrome. One of the things because I didn't have any other kids, so I had no timelines. So I had read some woman on the internet. Of course, I'm scouring the internet for stuff. Who said? She had a daughter with Down syndrome and she decided to potty train her early because nobody told her not to. And by one and a half, her daughter was potty trained. And I was like, and so I come home one day and I I bring this little potty seat home and my son's 20 months old, 22 months old. My husband's like, "Uh, what are you doing? I'm like, we are going to potty train him. We are not going to pay attention to these milestones that they keep telling us. They should potty train till they're four or five. Uh And literally we taught him the sign for potty because he had been learning sign language. He was nonverbal at the time. And we put some books by it and we made it this little game. And we're like, Owen. And I sat down and I looked him in his eyes. And this is why I'm telling you, our kids are smarter. I looked him in his eyes and went like, we're going to potty. I'm like, potty. I did the whole thing. We put him on the, the little potty seat and he went, to the, he tinkled. And I was like, oh, that's so cute. Like so random. Like it's not going to, you know, it's not going to be yeah. the seat. And I said to my husband, because he was a stay-at-home dad. He said, every time you go to the bathroom, you bring him with you three or four hours later, whatever. That first day, we did that. By like day two, we'd see his little hand go up and we're like, put him on the toilet. He was literally potty trained within, he was 22 months old. I slept around a little target potty seat. Yeah. for Because like, he couldn't even walk. He didn't walk until he was two, two years old. <laughs> it stuck him in potted plants. Anywhere he could go. <laughs> now, the one thing about it is he's a boy and he doesn't know how to pee standing up because he was so used to just being put on the toilet. The other way. So, oh, I know. Yeah. Sit down peeing. That's a sibling's nightmare. Right. Moms are like, it's okay. Just use the stall. But our brother is like, oh, he uses the stall. I'm like, sorry. Same with Owen. Like, he can't do it all. And it won't happen like that for every parent. And look, we've had our things that I wish and wish and wish he could do and he couldn't do. And other kids, were reading kids with Down syndrome were already reading by the time they were in first grade. And Owen didn't learn how to read until it be- became important for him to learn because all his friends in middle school were texting each other and showing yeah. them 
phones. And he's like, well, I need to know what they're doing. So yep. he started reading texts and he grabbed my phone and he'd sound out words. And I was like, oh my God. Like, so it's, I guess my consequences, that's natural consequences because he got a social reward if he's doing. I think that's, I'm happy that you said that because what I was going to say is it works the opposite way too. Your potty train story was me with nursing. They were like, oh, he might turn blue. He might not be able to latch because of his muscle tone. And I was like, well, shouldn't we try it? And so I said, give me that baby. And my husband was like, no, they said he might turn blue. And I was like, well, we aren't going to know unless we try. So give me that baby. And it, and then they were like, the nurses were all in a tizzy. And I was like, he's not blue. The latch looks okay. See you later. We're eating. He keeps hungry. Interesting how they, they want to tell us what they can and can't do. And they don't even know. Like, I get it. And I still hear this from parents who are told, like, who still get a negative diet, you know, they're told in a negative way about the diagnosis or they feel like it's negative. And I remember that. Like, I remember people always saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like they were too afraid to even say anything because they wanted to say they're sorry. And I'm like, looking back now, I'm like, oh my God, like, why? Why was everyone so sorry? But then at the same time, like, you know, he can't leave school. He doesn't like school, but he can't leave school. Well transition like some people don't like school but can't leave and that's okay that's yeah. Jack that's okay and so I think like it's whatever is right for Owen is right for Owen and that's like that is the lesson for me that is like huh such a relief yeah because you know we grew up in in this society that says oh this shirt is cool or these these make you look if you have bell-bottom jeans, your legs look longer. Nope, actually skinny jeans make your legs look longer. Nope, actually this color of jeans make your legs look longer. Well, these are legs. <laughs> and actually, you have another child too. So you get, like, yes. you're still right. They are, at the end of the day, they're an individual. Every child is an individual. And I really think every child has special needs, whether it has, or you, you find out now or you find out later. Like I was just saying, I feel like I have ADHD, which I probably went undiagnosed for years. So everyone has their disability in a way. Ours kids, it's just more prominent. It's more visible, if you will. And and I literally feel like we tried things because I was like, I don't want to read that book and go by the guidelines. Like I want to try this. Like with inclusion, I was like. Well, why, you know, the first, the first day in middle school, you know, middle school where we're all like, oh my God, big, bad, scary middle school. And then my kids got to go to school with 1800 kids, right? Yeah. Inclusion. The first day I'm like walking in, like, hey, Pat, kid with Down syndrome, I'm going to class, you know? And I thought, you know, I can just think, no, I got a whole pass. I can walk them into class. And then I was like, okay, I can't do that because if I keep doing that, I'm going to treat them like a baby. Right. So then, then I dropped them off at the gate. Then I dropped him off at the stop sign. Then I parked around the block. And so he learned little by little and depends. Like now, friends of mine are like, you let him go for a walk by himself. I'm like, yeah, he has a mile route in our hills that he has to yeah. go on. Sometimes I tell him he has to do two miles. So he takes off up another street and like 360 is, is your friend, right? So the one day he decided to climb, go hiking in the mountains without food or water or sunscreen. He's like, mom, I'm halfway up the mountain. I'm like, 
oh, no, you're not. Like, you need to walk back down that mountain. But they have to learn. They have to learn. Totally. Give them independence. They want more independence. And that is okay. Like, I feel like that is my job. Mm-hmm. Show I don't disagree with you anymore. What you can have. But yeah. again, it is my journey. So I want to caution people that this is my journey. It's not everybody's journey. You know, I don't, he doesn't have a dual diagnosis of autism, which I know is, is a different diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, no, I think, I, I think that's a really, really, really important lesson for people to learn. The way I say that is I am me. I had this really strong um, sense of self, like as a toddler, as a like middle schooler. And then when I broke my back, I had to develop a sense of self because, you know, my friends were able to do things longer or more or harder than I could. And, and I couldn't keep up as much. Um, and so like when, when I go to yoga and they say, set an intention, I'm like, I want to be me. Whatever that is today, I want to be me. I just want to be me. And sure, of course, like I could talk less. I could be more calm. I could try to sleep all night. There's all kinds. I could try to bring in the garbage cans on garbage day. There's all kinds of things I could try to do or or things I could try to manifest. But at the end of the day, I want to be me. And I think if we can teach our kids that and model that for our kids and certainly learn from our kids because they are so uniquely themselves then we're going to make the world a better place. And that's one of the things that I try to spread. So I love it that that's a big, big theme. Well, my, so my husband and I, when Owen was born, and and I think this is, I don't know how parents will take this when they read it, but we we looked at each other and said, you know what? Life is not going to be a special needs class. So eventually he will have to live and work in our world because you don't see a grocery store with all people with Down syndrome working in it. Right. There are fewer people with disabilities than there are typical people. And so whatever that looks like for anybody, that was where inclusion came into place so much for us because I was like, well, one day he's going to, I want him to have a job. And one day I hope he wants to get married, which he does, but he still hasn't found a girlfriend yet. But he wants what other kids want because they are, are human beings just like us. And however simplified that ends up being, I want him to be a good citizen of the world. So what does that mean? Like he has a part-time job right now, which I'd like to give a shout out to Finley's Dog Treats because they are a company out of Minnesota and they hire people. They put 50% of their profits back into hiring people with disabilities. And they're at, I think, at Get Finley's. But if you look on their website, there's all these pictures of people with disabilities. And they were two paraprofessionals who started their business because their dog needed certain dog treats that were wholesome. And they realized all these kids we've been teaching with disabilities are now adults and they don't have anything to do. So they hired them to help yeah. them make these treats. Yeah. And Owen's the first California ambassador. So the CEO came out and when she came out, she had this, what I love is she understood our kids, right? So she had big, the, the, the basket with everything in it, everything color coded, very easy to match up. She had the, what she needed him to say, very simple three-step kind of, this is what you say to people. Yes, if they have a dog, you tell, tell explain the mission. Perfect. And they were bought by Nutrisource, which is a big uh, pet food company. And they said, we love your mission. We want to buy your company. We want you to keep your mission, but we will help you expand throughout the U.S. So I know they're trying to do that, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. And so Owen goes on the, he has this 
amazing. This is one thing. Don't you feel like the right people always find our kids? Sure. <laughs> yeah, so when absolutely. He, so when he got his job, they were like, oh, we will want you to work with this woman, Darlene. She could be like the person with the, the parent coming new to source. And he sets up a table and he gives out treats and coupons. From the minute she met him, she loves him. Like, I feel so comfortable with him. I drop him off. I go do errands or I go work in the library or go for a run and go to the beach. And I feel really safe and I, and he loves it and he entertains people. And the store owners keep saying, when is he coming back? Because he moves so much product. Yep. Yep. I couldn't agree with you anymore. And I think that that's like that. I, I talked to a friend that runs a flower shop here in our little town and he, well, it's a floor, it's a florist and a nursery also. And he hires people with disabilities. And he said like the one kid has Down syndrome. Well, he's like 18, 19. And he said he spaces the pods better than anybody else. Cause people with typical abilities are like, oh, about two fingers in between. And they're like, right. And this person does flower pot, two fingers, flower pot, two fingers every single time. And he was like, he is so loyal. He is so perfect because I told him two fingers. He does two fingers every time. And that literal thing that this kid does, now my dad has no attention to detail, right? So it's not universal and I'm not saying that it is, but that that loyalty and that like literal interpretation of what is said is really an asset in the workplace. And in small business, my goodness, is that ever wonderful because, you know, small business is really hard and, and hiring employees is hard. So and Owen is that Owen is very much that routine kid. So, yeah. I mean, his routine takes way too long in the morning. That's why he's always late because he's like, I get up, I make my bed, I put the shades up, I have to put the light down. Like everything's very precise. But it does translate well in business because now he's like, when he has to get ready and they sent like, he has a uniform shirt, he opens up the garage. He puts everything in the right place in the trunk of my car. He gets up, he opens the table, but he... Darlene tries out and he's like, no, I got this because he has to do it in a certain way. <laughs> he's like, bag off, Darlene, bag off. Oh. But I love but, it. Know, I love it. Having said that, transitions hard for our kids, right? Always, I think, I think that is a universal truth is that transition yeah. is hard. It gets easier as they get older. But one of the things I decided to do with, with Owen and his schedule, because he keeps saying, I want to go away to college. So we're going to apply to a couple programs. He did. We did apply to UC Davis last year, which has a phenomenal program. He out of a hundred over a hundred applicants, I think he got. He was asked up for an interview, so we interviewed. But they only have. They had thirty interviews. They have twelve spots, literally twelve spots. Yeah. So he didn't get in, and he was. I could tell he just was like, "Did I not get in?" And I said, "You know what, Owen? Everyone experiences disappointment. Not every kid you know got into the college of choice." So we're going to manage this expectation. We're going to manage your disappointment. And this is a new feeling for you, disappointment, because he's always let everything come to him. And I said, and so it was a big teaching moment for him. And so then I decided, they, and they highly encouraged us to apply again. So we're going to apply again, but we're going to expand our applications as well. But I did decide that when he went to Ventura College, so he's been in this routine, right? Every Tuesday and Thursday. So what I did was the next semester, I tacked on another class. So now he's going four hours a day, two classes, and he gets a break in between. 
So then next semester, I said, well, you're going to go to Ventura College one day. We're going to go to a new campus. We're going to go to Oxnard College because they have a, a speech class that I want you to take. And he's like, what is I got to change my routine. And I'm like, yes, you do. Because that's right. You are. And so I'm really trying to, to get him to understand that. And I said, oh, and if you go away to college, your routine doesn't just stick for the rest of your life. You have to change classes every semester. Mm-hmm. You change your routine. So it's, I feel like I'm the puppet behind the, you know, the, I'm, he's the puppet and I'm kind of holding the strings, but it, I feel as if we can do it incrementally. And again, that's my biggest thing is don't try to do the whole thing all at once. If we do it little by little by little, when my friends say, oh my goodness, you let him walk, you know, you go somewhere and you don't look at where he's going and you're not like tight. I said, no, because I prepped him all his life for this. I have prepped him to where I know he's not going to leave somewhere without telling me. I know he can walk a mile around our block. I know I can drop him off at the corner and he'll go to his acting class and get into the building. And I have other parents go, I know, but it makes me nervous. And I'm like, I know it does, but. But don't your other kids make you nervous too? Yes. You know, and that's like, I mean, I wake up at four o'clock in the morning, even though Griffin drives himself to practice because they want to make sure his little light 360 dot arrives at practice. And I think at four o'clock in the morning, if it didn't arrive, would anybody else see him? How would I get alerted that he didn't get there? So like they all exhaust us. They all worry us. But in order for them to have experiences that make them relatable and help them to continue to grow, we have to continue to challenge them. Why do 60-year-olds do Sudoku so they don't get Alzheimer's? Well, we need to keep stimulating all areas of development in people with developmental disabilities forever so they don't get Alzheimer's, so that they stay relatable socially, so that they continue to grow too. Yeah, that's such important lessons. Ah, I can't wait to read it. I can't, I can't wait. I'm, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for joining us. Why don't you tell people before we sign off how they can get their copy of Raising Owen? Uh, so you can order it on Amazon, or if you want to support local bookstores, you can order it through bookshop.org, which then you can designate a local bookstore that will get a percentage. Other than that, it's, I'm hoping, I've been doing some book signings, but you know, it's, I'm trying to get it out there more. I feel like it's a marathon, not a sprint. I'm okay. not a big celebrity. I don't have a gazillion TikToks, but if you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm, I have at Suzanne Lazat author. And I'm on Facebook as Suzanne Lazat. So, and I did post a lot about Owen, just his little, we've been starting to do more with him and me and it's kind of a character. So. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for joining us, Suzanne. Thank you for having me. It was so great to talk to you. (laughs)